We are studying in the Gospel of John. Uh, there are some copies of the Gospel of John out there for you or for you to, to give out to others. And we are in John uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 18. So this is a corner in John. Compared to where we've been, uh, we kind of take a little bit of a turn in a new uh, direction as we're thinking about that. And because we're making this little turn, uh, I wanted to review some of what we've been looking at. You know, we started with an introduction to the Gospel of John, and we looked at the first 18 verses of chapter 1. There we talked about beginnings and the connection to the book of Genesis. And he starts out telling us that Jesus is God. Jesus is life. Jesus became flesh. And those simple ideas begin to carry us all through this book that is a book about belief, that you may believe that you may have life. Uh, as we went on into chapter one, we saw, uh, we learned about John the Baptist and that the secret for John the Baptist was that he knew who he was, he knew who he was not, and he knew who Jesus was. You know, that's a great way to live. If you get those three things right, you can really have a great life. Know who you are, know who you're not. I know who Jesus is. Um, we then saw uh, about Jesus' calling of his disciples. We saw all these different personalities, how Christ brought them all together and recognized that each of them had a personal calling from God, that that's our calling as well, that God comes to us, personally ask us that would we follow him. So the calling of the disciples. When we got to chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 11, we looked at the story of Jesus turning the water into wine, and we recognized that if you want to see miracles, that those that saw miracles were the servants, that they didn't turn the water to wine, but all they could do was fill the water pots. And so we talked about that, what it means to serve God, and when, as you serve him, seeing the miracles that he accomplishes. The latter part of chapter 2, we talked about Jesus cleaning temples. Uh, and who's the temple today? We are. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus cleanses our lives. John chapter 3 was about uh, Nicodemus and about being born again, the contrast between being regenerated and uh, just being a religious person. <coughs> Excuse me. We looked at John 3.16. John 3.16, this gift that God had given us of Christ as the Son coming to save us. We learned about God's love. We learned about how succinctly this verse talks about God's relationship with humanity and our way to salvation. Uh, we concluded John chapter 3 together looking at that. And then in 4, uh, John 4, 1 through 42, we talked about the woman at the well. And we saw this life-changing invitation that was offered to her and to us, uh, the transformation that Christ brings uh, to all of us. He still offers that invitation to you. And last week, we looked at Jesus' healing of the nobleman's son. We looked at this overriding priority in Jesus' heart for the deepening of our faith. We kind of looked at the different um, stages of that. And as we saw the sickness of the child, we saw how important that was. But even more important to Jesus was the deepening of this man's faith and the deepening of our faith. And uh, such a great way to see the importance of the deepening of faith in our lives. If you missed any of that or all of that, maybe Maybe this is your first time uh, as a part of this series. On our website, uh, that's at the bottom of the page on the bulletin, on the front page, you can see the website. You go there and you look for media, and you will be able to go back and watch any of those messages uh, that are there if you'd like to, to catch up with us. Now, 
Today's scripture, as we come to this healing in John chapter 5, it's like we've been walking in one direction, and now uh, Jesus has turned and taken us in another direction. Uh, we've been noticing how people have been accepting of Christ, and in John 5, we turn the corner and everything begins to change. Starting in John 5, there's the beginning of this intense hatred and persecution of Jesus begins, and eventually, uh, it, it leads him to the crucifixion and, and his death. Um, this, this particular uh, healing, the healing of the man that was born blind in John 9, and ultimately the raising of Lazarus from the dead. You know, there's a lot of things that you could maybe explain away, but they could not explain away the, re the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And it begins to be a, a time of persecution and coming against uh, Jesus. And you'll hear that in our scripture this morning. Uh, it's printed for you. Uh, if you're looking at your scripture, it's John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Uh, the scripture says, Sometime later, just Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pond, a pool, in which, in Aramaic, which is called Bethesda. Bethesda, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time, the angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which he took, this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Uh, this, this passage um, 
there's several ways that we can kind of get our bearings uh, on this passage. Uh, one is, I talked to you last time a little bit about the geography of where he was. And uh, we saw him in Cana, in Capernaum, uh, up in the northern part of Israel. And we saw him, that that's where the healing took place, um, that, that last one in the end of chapter 4 with the nobleman's son. Now we see that Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's in, in Jerusalem uh, to, uh, at a time when there's a great festival going on there. First of all, uh, let's think about Jerusalem. Where, where, what's going on here? We, let's, um, let's think about this room being Jerusalem. So if this room is Jerusalem, there were walls all around Jerusalem with various gates in them. The Damascus Gate and the, the Golden Gate that is all sealed up to that. All these gates. And so just like this room has walls all around it, that's the way um, the uh, the city of Jerusalem was. Now, uh, on one side uh, of the city, kind of on the east side, I guess, uh, there is the Temple Mount. Now, you've heard of the Temple Mount. It's very controversial. Uh, it's where the temple was built. There's still a portion of the temple standing there. They call it the Wailing Wall. Maybe you heard of that. Uh, maybe some of you have been there. Onto the waiting wall, a place of prayer. Well, let's say that this, uh, this platform area up here, we would make that the Temple Mount. And so the rest of the city kind of goes around this way. Straight across from the temple on the other side of the city would be Golgotha, the hill where, where the cross would have taken. So there's a lower Jerusalem and there's an upper uh, Jerusalem. So now where is this pool of Bethesda? Well, the Bethesda area would be a, a, like along this wall there. And in, the, in this corner, off the side of the temple, would have been this pool of Bethesda. Now, uh, a couple things about it. First of all, there's a lot of people that love, uh, some of them that are scholars, I put that in quotes because sometimes you wonder. Uh, for a long time, scholars wrote that they thought that the pool of Bethesda was made up that it really was just an idea that Jesus was talking about that because they didn't know where it was. Uh, nobody had come across it. But just like happens with the Bible, all those people were proved wrong. Uh, around uh, the late 1940s, uh, in an uh, archaeological dig that happened around a church that's there called St. Stephen's, uh, the dig, uh, they discovered this pool that was there. You notice how that scripture says that there were these five porches or colonnades that were around it. So if you can envision it, it's like these porches were built around it. So people would lay up on these porches to keep them out of the sun. They would lay up under these colonnades that were there, and then they would try to get down to the pool for the healing. Well, they found the pool. They found the colonnades. They even found that there was an intermittent underground spring that was there that actually made the water kind of bubble up uh, in, in those days. Uh, so that, that's over there. It really was true. See, uh, the, you know, a lot of people just don't like to, to say that the Bible is true, but the Bible's true over and over and over again. So the Temple Mount is here, and we have the Pool of uh, Bethesda over there. And then there's, they, he, he mentions the Sheep Gate. You notice that? Uh, well, the Sheep Gate is no longer a gate there, but back in those days, there was a gate, kind of a ramp that you could go up when you came in. And basically, you could get from out in the field, and you could come in the city that way, and the Sheep Gate allowed them to bring animals up into the temple area. Now, why would they do that? 
because they used them for sacrifice, right? Remember when we talked about the temple with Jesus cleansing the temple, how they were selling all those animals that were there. Well, they didn't just go right down past Herod's house and bring them and cart them all in there every day. They had a little back door and that's the sheep gate uh, where they would bring them in. So that's, that's what's taking place there. Uh, that's the scene uh, that's happening uh, here in uh, Jerusalem. Now, uh, the scripture tells us that Uh, Jesus shows up at this pool of Bethesda and he sees this man that has been there. Now, one of the things that helps you is also to recognize kind of the Jewish calendar. Uh, During the year, they would have multiple feasts or festivals uh, that would take place. We don't know which festival this was. Sometimes it tells us that it was the feast of the Passover. But this is a festival that's happening. Jerusalem had about 200,000 people in a normal uh, time it was a, it was a large city in the day, but during these festivals they 'd have like one point five million people that would gather there. People would come from everywhere around Israel to be a part uh, of these celebrations so that 's the scene that 's what 's happening there. This festival is taking place. the sheep gate, the pool of Bethesda uh, is right there, and Jesus uh, runs into this man uh, at the pool of Bethesda. Verse three says there were a great number of disabled people lying there, the blind, the lame. The paralyzed. And verse 5, one who was there had been an invalid for how long? 38 years. Uh, That begins to to tell us and remind us what is happening here. For 38 years, he meets uh, this this helpless man uh, that is there. Now, um, it's interesting to us in these these scriptures we've been looking at last time, we saw Jesus proclaim that distance makes no difference at all when it comes to what God wants to do in a person's life. Remember, the nobleman was 20 miles away, and I told you it might as well have been 2,000 miles. It didn't matter because distance had no bearing on what God was able to accomplish. Praise God. You know, isn't that why we pray for people halfway across the country? Or people that don't ever show up here. They don't have to necessarily show up here for God to bring about a touch upon them. This story reminds us that it's not distance that he's referring to. It's time. It's time that it didn't matter how long it's been that God can still be uh, involved in the situation. So it brings great hope to us, doesn't it? No matter how long you've been praying, no matter how long you've been waiting, we don't know God's agenda and the why. But what we do know is that time is not a factor in God being able to accomplish uh, what he desires. Now, one more note. Uh, I know I'm, I'm going to get to it, so I'm, I'm getting there. One more note I want you to know is that uh, in some translations, like in the NIV that I've been reading for you, verse 4 is left out um, in, in several translations. And now I'll put it in. Uh, the King James has verse 4. Now, what's going on there? Because some people love to argue with me about that, you know, that uh, why, what's going on with the Bible or what's wrong with their Bible. Uh, well, here's the deal. The way the Bible is translated is that they take the the most original manuscripts that they have, which there are more manuscripts from the time of the Bible writing than of any other kind of writing in the history of the world. 
Uh, you remember hearing a few years ago um, about the time they found that, that pool of Bethesda. Um, they located the Dead Sea Scrolls. You hear people talk about that? Well, the reason the Dead Sea Scrolls was such a major thing was it was a, many additional original monographs or documents that helped them to, to, to know. So what they would do, these, the people that translate the Bible try to go back to as far back as they can the original manuscripts and then they translate from those. So it's not just a bunch of guys sitting around saying, I think it should sound like this or that. He helps us. To, and what happens is, like a verse like verse 4, and there's a few others, especially NIV, that says, um, you know, we don't notice that that verse is commonly in some of the best original manuscripts. So what they do is they put it as a footnote at the bottom because their desire is to make it as true to the original as they possibly can. Now, I know some of you probably get a little sick and tired of all the translations. I know you. Um, but it is really an effort by really smart people to go back to those original texts. And, uh, but um, the reason that verse is there is it's an attempt to kind of bring an explanation of what was going on at this pool of Bethesda. It tells us that the angel would come down. Well, it, it really wasn't much of a deal. It was probably superstition. Maybe some people got healed. We don't know for sure. But what we know is the, he's trying to explain what was happening. This man thought, I need to get down to this pool to be able to get myself in the water, and that will be the place of healing. Now, three things that Jesus does in this moment, three ways that he opens up the possibility of this man uh, being, being changed. The first thing was that he saw this man. He saw him. He knew what he was dealing with. He knew that he felt like he had to get down it, into the pool. Uh, you know, it's, uh, getting down into this pool, to me, is kind of like people that say, well, as soon as this happens, then I'm going to fix it. Then I'm going to get right with God. Then I'm going to make a change in my life. It's those as soon as people. There are none of those here, so don't be looking around. But, you know, some people are as soon as people. You know, kids will say, well, as soon as I grow up, or as soon as I become an adult, usually they're talking to their parent, you know, about some way. That, uh, or as soon as I graduate, or as soon as I get a better job, or as soon as I get married, or as soon as I get out of this relationship, or as soon as I have more time, or more, as soon as she quits acting like that, as soon as he apologizes, uh, you know, I, I, as soon as uh, I take a vacation, as soon as I retire, you just fill in the blank, right? As soon as, well, that's kind of like the pool of Bethesda. As soon as I can get down into the water, as soon as I have somebody uh, to help me, you know what? Your answer to your need is not in the circumstances that are going to happen in your life. See, that's what the, the pool of Bethesda is kind of like an illusion, if I could, if this could just happen, then I'd be changed. Then I'd be well. Then it would happen for me. You know, the truth is, the answer to what I need is not in the circumstances going on around me. The answer is the Spirit of God working in and through me, in my heart. Amen? 
Uh, that, that's exactly what's happening here. So Jesus saw this man. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy. You know, Jesus uh, didn't heal everybody that he was around. You know, I noticed that he didn't put up a little sign and say, Jesus is at the pool of Bethesda. Come on by and get your healing. He could have cleared the place out, couldn't he? He could have, but he didn't. He saw this one man. He was limited in that time. He limited it himself. But today... It's unlimited. Do you know that Jesus sees you? He knows you. He knows what's happening in your life. He knows what you've been through, what your struggles are. He knows everything that has happened. He saw this man and he knew his condition. Jesus saw him and Jesus knew uh, his condition. He knew what his circumstances were. Uh, he, he works in him. He says to him, get up. I know what's happening. Stand up. Get up. Take up your mat. Pick it up. And walk. Uh, the man does not leave uh, his mat behind. He realizes his circumstances are being changed. Jesus saw him. What freedom is there in knowing that Jesus sees us? Jesus knows us. He offers him not as soon as. He offers him transformation just through a few words that he speaks to him. The third thing is that Jesus not only saw him and knew, knew him, Jesus asked him a question. The possibility of change is opened up in this man as Jesus asked him a question. Um, you know, this question changed the man's life. You know, this morning, as we're talking together, um, I'm trying to preach the best that I can to talk to you about this scripture. But the Holy Spirit is really the preacher here today. Because, see, he, he knows you like Jesus knew this man. He knows what you're in bondage to. He knows the hurts and the fears that you have. He knows exactly what's happening on you. And he knows exactly what question to ask you. That's a little, that's a little convicting, isn't it? He knows exactly what to talk to you about, just like he knew exactly what to talk to this man about. So he recognized and he, uh, he asked this man a question. Do you see the question? He asked this man a question and the question is, do you want to, be, to get well? Do you want to get well? Would you say that? Do you want to get well? Now that you're awake, say it again. Do you want to get well? Turn to your neighbor and say, do you want to get well? That's what... Jesus asked this man, do you want to get well? You know, if I hear that question and I say, of course I do, right? Don't you want to say that? But Jesus' question is always deeper, deeper than just the surface. Because it is a question. Sometimes we get comfortable like we are. Sometimes we get comfortable in our misery or comfortable in our hurt um, and instead of saying, yes, I'd love to be healed, uh, we, you know what? When you decide that you want to be made well, there might be some, some hassle. You know, if, you're, if your relationship that is broken is going to be healed, it's going to cost you a little bit to get that done, to make things right. There might be some apologies that are involved. 
There might be some forgiveness. There might be something you have to do to take care. We're going to see that happen. This guy had to take some action. It wasn't just I'm sitting in church and I had this good feeling and pastor preached so good today and I'm going to go out and things are going to be changed. And it never works like that. He says, this is what you have to do. This is what I want. Do you want to be well? So we ask him a question. And this man, notice, he doesn't say the right answer. He doesn't say, yes, I do. That, that's what we should have said, right? Notice verse 7. Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the, when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now think with me. Jesus is standing right here. Jesus is standing right here. He can do anything. He created the world. He could have easily, yes, sir. Yes, I do. That would have been the right answer. But he started, you know what this guy's barrier was? You know the problem that he had? The problem was that he had his own solution in his mind. Jesus says, do you want to be well? And he offers his own solution. I need to get into the water. I don't have anybody to help me get there. People get down there before I, you know, he should have just said, well, how, how you going to, what do you want to do to make me well? He had his own solution and that became uh, the barrier that he was struggling with. He, his solution was, well, Jesus looks pretty strong and healthy. You know, he, uh, He's, he's come down to this pool. He wants to, maybe he can pick me up and get me into the pool uh, first before anybody else does. Uh, so he has his own idea in their mind. So this man is about to have his faith activated. He, he had a solution. There's a lot of people that think there's healing in the water or healing in this or healing in that. I'll never forget. I was pastoring in my hometown. And so we were in this, uh, uh, the church was located in a, a real uh, downtrodden area of the town, difficult place, uh, some projects, some lower income housing all around there. So we always had these kids that would come walking through our property there. Well, one day, this little African-American boy, he comes walking in and he's huffing and puffing and he said, uh, Pastor, do you have some of that holy water here? He said, I, I just need to be revived. He, he's hot and he's, uh, and, I, and I thought, here's this kid that thinks that the, the church has some kind of magic holy water that's going to, that's going to provide for him. You know, the world is kind of still like that. They're still looking for all kinds of things out there, the, the latest pill or the latest thing, uh, this thing that's going to sell on TV or on the internet somewhere, the latest thing that's going to make your life great. It's nothing more than the pool of Bethesda. There it is. Uh, you know, because the, the truth is that your solutions are never going to get it. Uh, the social solutions that we come up with. So this man, he offered uh, Jesus his solution, but we recognize that just because he thought he had it figured out wasn't going to make the difference. He had to follow the commands that Jesus Christ uh, offered to him. Now, what I noticed here was not only what Jesus did, but we, what Jesus did not do. So when you get to verses 8 and 9, notice what he didn't do. Um, Jesus did not offer to help this man into the pool. 
He didn't uh, offer him that because he had something entirely different in mind. He doesn't encourage this guy, oh, someday you'll be first. Someday you'll be able to make it. I know one of these days you're going to, baloney. He didn't say anything like that. It wasn't what he did. He didn't, he didn't make this man more, uh, more comfortable. He didn't run over to the temple gift shop and buy the guy a pillow. He didn't try to make him more comfortable while he was there. And he did not argue with him about his theological shortcomings of his thinking about where and how this healing was going to take place. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Get up, take your mat and walk. How Jesus activated this guy's faith. What did he do? The first thing he said was, get up. Would you say that? Get up. He told him, I want you to get up. Now notice, Jesus asked him, Jesus challenged him to do what he could not do. He couldn't get up. He was helpless. You know, that's how it works, doesn't it? Jesus asks us many times to do something that we feel like or that we think we cannot do. Things that we can't control, whether it's physical or emotional, uh, recognizing these things that we can't get accomplished. This guy's been struggling with this for 38 years, and Jesus challenges him to do the very thing that he thinks he cannot do. I've noticed how Jesus works that way. A lot of times he asks us to do something. Um, what you're really seeing here is how God works in somebody's life. Uh, God, here's what I want you to do. And God says, well, I'm not doing that. This is what I want you to do, how I want you. We feel helpless, and he asks us to do the impossible. It happens in the Bible. You see it uh, often. One example is um, Abraham. God says to him, you're going to have a child. And Abraham thinks it's impossible because he's in the 90s. Uh, he didn't have a heart attack, but I would have. <laughs> right? You too, huh? He, he's at a place where he knows it cannot be accomplished and recognizes that God has to accomplish it. This happens often. Maybe think about this person in your life, somebody that maybe you have a broken relationship with them. You've had a struggle in that relationship, and you begin to, to feel that God wants to maybe heal that relationship, or you wish that there was some way for that relationship to be restored. You know what he does? He says, I want you to call him. I want you to write him a letter. I want you to forgive them. I want you to pray for them. And you know what you say? Lord, you know I can't do that. I can't call them. I can't, I can't be the one. I mean, why don't you have them call me? That's my plan. Have them reach out to me, and then I'll be, I'll be nice and forgiving. When uh, He asked us to do what seems impossible. I, I was talking to this guy, and he, uh, he came to me about this relationship problem. And so, uh, I mean, he's just, he's just broken. And he says, Pastor, I'm will, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. I said, okay. So I said, well, how about this? Pastor, I can't do that. Well, what about this? And what about this? You know, I think 
If you could do, if you could do those two things, I really think that would begin to make a difference in this situation. Pastor, I can't do that. See, I wanted to say, do you really want to be well? Do you really want to be well? He says to this guy, get up. He challenges him to do the very thing that he felt like he could not do. So what am I saying to you today? Get up. Quit sulking. Quit staying in that place of bondage on that mat beside the pool that you think is going to be the healing. Get up, he says. Challenges us. Second thing he says is take up your mat. That's the way the King James says it. Get up and take up your mat. I love this. Jesus removes the temptation for relapse. How often has God done something in a service like you, you know God could do something miraculous in this room right now today. God could do something in your heart that you've been carrying around for a long time. But so many times, oh, the spirit of the Lord will come and God will minister in a service like this. And then you, know, you pack up your stuff and you walk out of here. And then a day or two later, the devil's saying, you know, he really didn't do that. He really didn't bring you about any change. Nothing's going to be any different. You're going to end up right back over there at that same old pool and that same old mat. Jesus is saying, uh, I, want you to, I want you to give up your spot in line. <laughs> I mean, it's festival weekend. You know they had to get there early. They had to get there. They had to get as close as they could to the pool to be able to have a chance to get in. So he has his spot all lined out. Jesus is saying, take up your mat. Get rid of your spot in line. We're not coming back here anymore. We're going to be done because of what I'm going to do in you. Take up your mat. Get up. Take up your mat. We're not coming back here uh, any longer. That's the kind of healing he wants to bring. That's the kind of healing he is activating uh, in this man's life. I mean, when God works in the areas where you feel helpless, that's the way he works in our life. We give up control over that area of our life, and all of a sudden, God's in control. Uh, it's like burning bridges behind us. We've burned that bridge, and we're not going back to that same spot. He's challenging us. It's like... Oh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like when you're dealing with temptation. Let's just say that somebody is dealing with a temptation uh, toward adultery in their marriage. And that means that uh, somebody has got your attention. Somebody that is not your spouse is um, can, you know, somehow involved in your life and you're feeling the enemy bringing about temptation. Do you know what? If you talk to God about it, God will say, get your mat and get out of there. You know, if it's at your job, you know what he might say? You need to find yourself another job. Or if it's your neighbor, you probably need to move and find you another house. Why? Because it's way more important to, to protect your marriage and to overcome the temptations that happen there than just have that same job. You might have to find another one. You got to do something so that there's no relapse that is happening. He says, I don't want you going back over there again. I'll help you deal with that temptation that's there. You, you with me today? He's saying, not only get up, but take, take your mat. And then he says, walk. Get up, take your mat and walk. Jesus expects continued success. He wasn't going to just heal this man 
and then not give him the power to do it. Notice he doesn't sit down with this guy that's been there 38 years, or at least he's been an invalid for 38 years. He doesn't say, oh, things are going to be all right. Let's just see if we can massage your legs and get them feeling a little better. No way. And the Bible says instantly the man was healed, and he's up. He didn't even need physical therapy to get his muscles working again. Just like that, Jesus healed him. Man. You know, he, he wants you to know that he gives you this possibility. See, faith told this guy to do something. It wasn't just a feeling he was having. It wasn't just a nice day at the pool during the festival. God brought about transformation, and he says, I want you to walk. What incredible things God does in our helplessness, in our hurt, in our brokenness. Man, I cannot explain how God uses our weaknesses, but I know that he uses them to bring about change and transformation for us. The last part of this scripture uh, tells us what happened uh, after the fact. Jesus did this miracle on the Sabbath. Can you picture this? This man has been healed after 38 years of being an invalid. He's walking with his mat. Um, he's going along, and it's the Sabbath day, and he's not supposed to work. They even had all these rules about the Sabbath. And the Pharisee comes along and says, who told you to carry your mat? You can't carry your mat because it's the Sabbath day. He says, well, well, wait a minute. The man that healed me, he told me to pick up my mat. Who told you to pick up your mat? Not, I mean, a religious leader, shouldn't he have said, did you say healing? I, I know you, you've been at that, you've been over it right off, it's right off the temple. You know they've seen all these disabled people that are over there. So here's this man that has been healed after 38 years. Wouldn't there be just happiness and joy and dancing and celebration, especially from a religious man, right? Oh, no. Why are you carrying that mat? Like, what's wrong with you? Don't you know how to keep the rules? The rules. See, what is happening there is this man had to resist uh, getting wrapped up in legalism. You know, legalism will cause you to miss the power of the miracle. Trying to keep uh, those certain rules along the way there. So, um, you know, the legalism sort of gives you a false holiness. You know, true holiness is the transformation that God happens within us, not based on a certain set of rules or a bucket list I'm trying to keep, you know, recognizing uh, that that's false holiness, the transformation that he brings in us. And we must choose to do what this man did. You know what he did? He went to worship. When Jesus went looking for him, he found him in the temple. You know, he was, uh, he was enjoying, like, maybe enjoying some music or some worship. You know, a lot of times people that were sick like that weren't allowed in the temple. So he is there worshiping God, giving God praise. Why wouldn't you go to church and celebrate God if you had been healed after 38 years? I mean, how about 38 minutes? <laughs> the healing has come, and he gathers uh, to worship. And Jesus says uh, that he's made this choice to worship, and he says to him, stop sinning. Now, I don't know what all totally is involved in that, but he's recognizing, uh, I know one thing, there's, there's not much worse than 38 years uh, in bondage. I mean, I guess 39 would be worse, but uh, 38 years in bondage, uh, the only thing you could think of that would be worse than that was eternity without God. However long you've been carrying that burden, nothing is worse than missing heaven.
than not knowing God as your Savior and being ready to meet. Eternity is a lot longer than 38 years. He's reminding him, stop sinning, move on, live out your life. What is happening here in the last verses is recognizing that we are seeing who Jesus is. Not only what he can do, but who Jesus is. And that's going to um, challenge us into next week as we look carefully at, what, uh, at who Jesus is and how he brings about the defense uh, for that, where he says that I'm the son of God. So here's the question. What are you carrying? What are you laying on your mat, hoping, waiting for Jesus to do? Maybe even more important, how much longer are you going to wait? How much longer before you surrender to him? Give Jesus your solution, not how you're going to get better, not what you're going to do. You know, there are some things in our life, some hard things, some brokenness, some hurt that needs the only thing that is going to make a difference is the move of God in our heart, bringing about that kind of change. Us having this personal moment with Jesus to change us. As we end this, uh, I wrote this for us today. I wrote this closing. It's kind of a prayer, kind of a declaration uh, that we can, uh, we can say together because I wanted just to be like in your mouth. So you can see it. I don't have a screen to put it on, so it's on the outline there. Uh, if you don't have one, move over near somebody else to you there. And we're going to read together this whole thing. Now, if I get a little worked up in the middle of it, just pardon me for that. But um, we're looking for this personal moment with God about the things that hold us in bondage. Do you believe that he could do that this morning? Do you believe that you could gather in a worship place like this, that we know that God promises he shows up here? He doesn't show up here because we're Nazarene. He doesn't show up here because I'm the pastor. He doesn't show up here because you're here today. He shows up here because he promised that he would meet us here. This is our pool of Bethesda. This is where we come and open our hearts to the questions that he asks us. Let's read together. You ready? This miracle verifies that Christ is all I need. The man departed and told them it was Jesus who made him well. It wasn't the angel, right? It wasn't the water. It wasn't the person who carried the man into the water. Make no mistake, it was Jesus who healed him. Hallelujah. That's the truth, right? It's not any of it. It's not, if there's going to be some healing happen this morning, it's not going to be the person sitting next to you. It's going to be Jesus. It's not going to be some angel or some solution you came up with. It will be Jesus. All right. We start with the word Jesus there. Ready? Jesus can take a troubled, excuse-filled life like mine. Say like mine. Like mine. And make it whole. Today, Christ puts this question to me. Would you like to be made whole? That's the question, right? Would you like to be made whole? Whatever it is 
that's going on inside you that he wants to set you free from? Would you like to be made whole? We start with the word like. Ready? Like the paralyzed man, I never dreamed today when I woke up and dragged myself out of bed. Stop right there. Did somebody, maybe somebody had to drag you out today. Huh. Maybe this is the day. Let's start over again. We'll start the word like again. Same thing. Like the paralyzed man, I never dreamed today when I woke up and dragged myself out of bed that today would be the day. But today is the day. Jesus is asking me if I would like to be made whole today. Yet, I stand in my own way. I have plenty of excuses. I know that there are naysayers, and perhaps I am the biggest one. I can keep this from being the day for my wholeness by not listening to Christ's command to me. Let's stop there. Excuses, why it can't happen, people that have discouraged you, uh, people that have made you think that it can't happen. You know, there's all kind of reasons that you might miss what he wants to accomplish. You already said, I heard you. You thought it could happen today, maybe today. That man had no idea when he got there that day that that was going to be the day. Maybe the day is the day that what you've been praying for could happen in your heart. The change that he wants to bring in you, that attitude that you've been dealing with, that you've been trying to cover up and to hide from everybody, that they all see it and they know it, but they're just wondering, when are you going to let God break through and change that? Come on, right? He's asking us, will you be made whole uh, today? Now we're on the word yet. Ready? Yet, through Christ I find that I can do what I've always failed to do. Whew. I can be what I never could be. I can love like I could never love. I can forgive those I have never been able to forgive, including myself. I can never be too far away for Christ to reach me I am not a hopeless case. Isn't that true? Say that again. I am not a hopeless case. You are not a hopeless case. Just because you've been carrying this around for 38 minutes or 38 weeks or 38 months or 38 years or whatever amount of time, God says, you're never too far away and it's never too late, never too long for me to reach to you. I am not a hopeless case. The word nothing. Ready? Nothing that has happened to me or choices that I have made can hinder Jesus from redeeming me. Jesus said, say it loud, take up your mat and walk. The guy would have never known he would walk if he hadn't taken a step. I will never know the hope that awaits me in Christ if I don't take a step. If I don't say yes, Whatever I am lacking, Jesus is enough. Jesus can make me whole. Jesus is asking me today, do you want to be made whole? Yes, I do. Is that true? Yes, I do. I want to be made whole. Here's how we're going to close. I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we're going to take some action. Uh, first of all, I'd like us to pray that God would accomplish 
the very thing he's talking to you about. I told you way earlier in the service, I'm not the preacher today. All I'm doing is telling you this story. But the story is that the Spirit of God wants to set you free and to get you off that mat, to get you out of this situation, to change and bring about the transformation that he knows what the solution is for us. Would you bow with me just where you're seated there? Lord, what a story, what a truth, what a principle for us to apply to our life. Could we envision ourselves in some particular area of our life feeling lost, feeling hopeless, feeling like that is never going to change, nothing is ever going to change in that situation? Help us, Lord, not to be as soon as Christians. Help us to hear your voice. Help us to feel your challenge. Help us to be willing to get up. To take up that old ratty mat that we've been laying on. And to walk. To walk in newness. To walk in healing. To walk in the transformation that Jesus Christ has brought about in my life. Lord, heal somebody today. Change somebody's situation today. Get somebody off that mat today. Change that attitude today. Change the situation so that forgiveness can happen. Change our desires and our longing to be more in tune with you. Help us to walk out of here different than when we came in. Do it now. Do you want to be made well? Yes, I do. In Jesus' name. Here's how we're going to close. Uh, in just a minute, I'm going to tell you to get up, and I want you to get yourself up. Not just out of your seat, but I want you to get up the way that Jesus asked this man to get up. And then some kind of paper, maybe you got those notes or whatever. I want you to uh, take up your mat. Why don't you just roll it up? We'll just roll up our mat, and then we're going to walk. And we're going to walk out of here. And we're going to claim the victory and the healing that only God can give to us. God is working a miracle in this place. How many of you think that God is doing something in your heart uh, right now today in this place? How about up in, uh, how God is working in this place right now. He wants you to be changed. Don't show up next week with your mat back in here again. <laughs> Let him do something in your heart right now. And I told you, it's not like a feeling that's happening. You might be saying, oh, pastor, it was a good sermon or a good sermon, whatever you say, all that stuff. You know, we're not looking for some kind of feeling that can happen. I'm not against feelings. I like them. I have lots of them. But he's asking for action. Get yourself up. Quit sulking. Quit saying it, staying in that place. Quit saying that this is never going to change because it can change, no matter the distance, no matter the time, because it's Jesus that we're talking about. Get up. Take up your mat and walk out of here. All right, you ready? We're about, now, I'm, I mean it. Do, it. do it all, all right? 
because we're taking action to man. So first of all, get up. Take up your mat. Roll something to get that mat all wrapped up, ready to go. Now get out of here. Walk. Go. Go. Be healed. 